This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Elder abuse represents a significant public health problem. Each year, hundreds of thousands of adults over the age of 60 are abused, neglected, or financially exploited. And this is likely an underestimate because many victims are unable or afraid to disclose or report the violence. Here with more on all of this and the ways to recognize and prevent it from happening is Jenny Hicks. She's a project coordinator of the Abuse in Later Life program at Vera House in Syracuse, which is a domestic and sexual violence service agency. Welcome, Jenny. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. First, let's talk about what we mean when we use the term elder abuse. What exactly is that? Yeah, I think a lot of people don't really understand how broad that definition is. It includes a variety of things that are causing harm to an older adult. It might be emotional abuse. It might be physical abuse. It might be neglect by a care provider, sexual abuse, and then also... um, How about financial issues? Financial exploitation is probably the largest one. Really? Yes, absolutely. Give us a feeling for how prevalent this is, because I made some allusion here that hundreds of thousands each year. I mean, what's really going on from your perspective? The study of elder abuse, we're about 30 years behind um, learning information about elder abuse. The domestic and sexual violence movement started in the 60s, so there's a lot of data and information about that. There was actually a recent study in New York State, one of the largest ones in the country, where 4,000 people were interviewed um, by telephone to kind of try to figure out what the prevalence was of this issue. Um, What they found by self-reporting was 14.1% indicated that since they had turned the age of 60 years old that they had been abused in one of those forms. Um, And I'm going to say that's understated because one of the things they screened out for is they screened out for the issue of dementia. Um, Other studies have been done about the issue of older adults with dementia, and the statistics are staggering. They talk about 50% of individuals with dementia encounter some form of elder abuse. But you're basically saying that even those without dementia can basically experience the same thing. Absolutely. It can happen to anybody, anybody at all. So going, uh, kind of segueing from that, who, who is actually most at risk? Are these people who are either living alone, at home with others, in a facility, I mean, what's the what's well, I, the I, general thumbnail of I that? I think a lot of people believe that, you know, they hear elder abuse and they think of nursing homes because that's what you hear about in the newspaper. But only 5% of older adults live in nursing homes. 95% of older adults live at home, and honestly, that's where the bulk of the abuse is happening. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen in the nursing homes, but the reason you hear about that is typically it's being done by a stranger. Um, There's a lot more eyes and ears. There's a requirement to report when you're in a facility, so you hear about those issues. The people who are vulnerable are the ones who are home, typically alone, um, perhaps a care provider there with them, and very isolated. Um, And again, 95% of older adults are living at home, so most of that abuse is happening there. So help us understand what the warning signs for this? In other words, how would we suspect or know that someone we love or a family member of ours who is an older adult might be experiencing this kind of thing? First of all, what are the general kind of things you might see, general signs? Overall, I'd say any change in behavior you should really kind of key into. Um, Somebody who used to get out a lot and all of a sudden doesn't get out a lot, or somebody who was very calm who is now very jumpy. Um, So what is their behavior? 
Isolation is probably one of the biggest red flags when you talk about the issue of elder abuse. Um, you mean self-imposed isolation? I would say isolation by the care provider as well. It really goes both ways. Um, the individual might isolate because they're ashamed. They don't want people to know that it's happening. Um, the care provider who might be doing the abuse obviously will isolate because they don't want people to know. Um, so those are some of the early red flags is that isolation. Um, other red flags can be pretty broad. So let's go kind of point by point. Sure. You mentioned the kinds of abuse that take place. Mm -hmm. In physical abuse, mm -hmm. what might you see? Yeah, um, certainly in physical abuse, you think about older adults. You, if they're being abused, you might see bruising, cuts, injuries. But not every bruise on an older adult means they're being abused. You know, Of course, I think people about, fall and have all kinds of absolutely. injuries. Absolutely, and my mother, you know, is on blood thinner, so she has bruises that she doesn't know where they come from. You know, just she, there was one time she pulled off a Band-Aid and had bruises where the sticky parts were. So mm -hmm. um, really the bruising or the injury should tie in with an explanation that doesn't make sense. They say they knocked into a doorknob, but the doorknob doesn't match up. Or the caregiver says something happened and the other individual says something else. Um, How about this idea of um, the caregiver's role here? Maybe, again, this is more of a general statement, mm -hmm. but the caregiver's um, perhaps... Pro or prohibiting you from being alone, you oh, as the observer, absolutely. With, with the individual. Yeah, um, a care provider, again, wants that person to be isolated. Um, we work with a lot of older adults, and when we talk about you know people who are working with older adults, if there's a suspicion of elder abuse, how critical it is to separate those individuals to have a dialogue because... Very often, that care provider who's abusive wants to fill in all the answers, does not want that person to be alone and have the ab opportunity or ability to disclose what's happening to them. And the interesting thing is right now we're, tr uh, we're kind of focusing on people who maybe don't have um, a significant amount of dementia, but then I want to turn to obviously that only complicates the problem because they can't necessarily... Um, clarify or or be their own best witness. Exactly. And quite frankly, in those situations, the care provider is going to say, well, you know, mom or you know, dad, they're confused. You know, that didn't happen. They're having a lot of issues. So they're trying to deny even when the person might be trying to ask for help. What kinds of things might you see if it was emotional kind of abuse, let's say verbal abuse, that kind of thing? I mean, do you see... Um, on the part of first, on the part of the individual, the patient, so to speak, do, is might you see some behavior withdrawal, mm -hmm. um, sometimes depression, mm -hmm. a lot of self-blame because what we also know is the bulk of the perpetrators are family members. Um, Forty-seven percent of the time, it's your own children. So, you know, they they blame themselves for the behavior of their children. So there's self-blame. There's certainly withdrawal, depression those types of things. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with elder abuse prevention expert Jenny Hicks. We're talking about elder abuse and how to recognize it and somewhat prevent it, help, help prevent it. In terms of sexual abuse, again, what might you see or, or what might you observe? Yeah. Um, again, behavior might be one of those things. Um, it can be pretty blatant, one bed, and there's two people living in that facility. So sometimes it's something like that. But a lot of older adults are very ashamed if something like, like that's going to happen, so they might not disclose. 
and injuries they might also not disclose. So perhaps the person never needed a walker or never needed a cane. All of a sudden they need one and they're not really disclosing what happened. Well, injuries take a long time to heal. Bloody, soiled clothes you might see, things like that. How about stuff like neglect? I mean, that seems more obvious. Mm -hmm. But again, if there is a caregiver in the picture, you mm -hmm. wouldn't necessarily want to see things like, you know, um, unsanitary living conditions sure. and that kind of thing. Sometimes that, you think you might just recognize, and some of those things you will. Yeah. What does the home smell like? Is there food in the refrigerator? But what about those more subtle things? What about medication bottles? You know, are they full and they're not being utilized? Um, are pain meds all gone and they, the prescription was filled yesterday? Um, so what's going on with those types of things as well? How about financial exploitation? Because that was what you said could often be a yeah, very significant one. I think one. in every case we see, they're, they're, if there's not financial exploitation happening currently, the individual is high at risk. Um, once the person is isolated and start layering on, not having access to others, um, having their finances actually taken away from them, financial exploitation just grows and grows. And it doesn't start necessarily large. Um, it might start with somebody going to the grocery store and saying, do you mind if I pick something up for myself, Mom? And Mom says, no. Then they have the card, so they pick up their whole grocery bill. And then they have the card, so they can withdraw money. Um, so it tends to start small and grow large, and we've seen people lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. So let's talk a little bit about the caregiver and what might you see in the caregiver that might make them more at risk for this kind of behavior. You're saying it's not necessarily a stranger who's been hired. It could be a family member. So mm -hmm. what are the kinds of things? Is it burn? Is it caregiver burnout? Is it the fact that it's such a hard job, maybe resentment, maybe the fact that their relationship with their parent was not great before? 90% mm -hmm. of abuse is happening at the hands of family members, which shocks people. It's 90%, and another six is friends and neighbors. So the vast majority of abuse is happening at the hands of someone you know. Why? Early studies pointed to caregiver stress. Those have been disproven. Really? Um, just, it, just turn it around a little bit and say, if you're a parent and you're stressed out and you abuse your child, is that okay? Right. No. So it's just not turn a, it it's around. Not a it's not an excuse. Is caregiver stress a factor? It can be a factor. Um, but what we know is, you know, there might be some risk factors. Um, a lot of those, a lot of the perpetrators might have an issue of financial need. Um, unemployment, some sort of addiction, whether it's drugs or gambling or alcohol. Um, they might have encountered some sort of abuse in the past themselves, which makes them more likely to abuse others in the future. It's not a one-for-one, one, but it, it, it could be a risk factor as well. Um, so basically what can be done? We're going to talk about prevention. You are involved in a program to do such, that very thing. Tell us what you would recommend? What should people be doing in terms of prevention? One of the biggest thing is building awareness. So thank you for allowing that opportunity. A lot of people don't know what to name it. Um, they, they feel something's going wrong with an older adult. So let's start building awareness on what elder abuse is. You, It's the emotional. It starts there. You start seeing that with someone you care about. What can you do? So recognition. Talk to them. Recognition, absolutely. And the other side of that is once it's recognized, let people know that there's resources available. Um, very often that care provider is trying to isolate the person. So is there a way to get other services in that home, eyes and ears who might be there? If the person 
or even day programs. Absolutely. If you can get services in, then that person becomes less reliant on that person who's abusing them and might be willing to get them out of their home if they know that they can get care somewhere else. So is there a specific way to report elder abuse at this point? There is. Um, Unlike child abuse, there's not a mandate to report elder abuse in New York State. It's the only state um, that does not have mandated reporting yet of elder abuse. The only um, state. Wow. The only state of that does not have mandated reporting for elders who live in the community. Um, if you're in a facility, um, there is some mandate. Um, so what can you do? You can call. There is something called Adult Protective Services. A lot of people don't know what Adult Protective, and if they do, they think it's Child Protective for Adults. So they're afraid to call because they think they're going to swoop in and remove that older adult. Adult Protective doesn't do that. They are there to provide services to older adults, and I would say it's important for people to know that they can call them anonymously and make a report if they are concerned about someone they know. And this exists through our county government, right? It sure does. And in addition, there's Vera House. And Vera House is a great resource 24-7. You can call if you have any questions. We actually have an elder advocate who works one-on-one with individuals to connect them to services and provide what they might need. So this is incredibly hopeful in that we do have something going on in terms of services, but I think your point is very well taken. People must first recognize that A, it exists, and B, to recognize what the signs are in order to take action. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Jenny, thanks so much for coming in. My guest has been Jenny Hicks. She's the project coordinator of the Abuse in Later Life program at Vera House, which is in Syracuse, and it's a domestic and sexual violence service agency. Once again, thanks so much. Thank you so much. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink On Air.